So should I get some more? Well, you was going 55 in the 54. Uh -huh. Lost in the registration and step out of the car. You carrying a weapon on you, I know a lot of you are. I ain't stepping out of shit, all my papers legit. Well, do you mind if I look around the car a little bit? Well, my glove compartment is locked, so it's the trunk in the back. And I know my rights, so you gon' need a warrant for that. <laughs> Aren't you sharp to attack? Or something, somebody important or something. I ain't passed the ball, but I know a little bit enough that you wanna legally search my shit. Well, we'll see how smart you are when the canine Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, episode 91. Thrilled to be with you guys today. I'm Hillsdale's most trusted and beloved lawyer. A title I worked so hard to achieve, I gave it to myself. As you guys know, I'm committed to bringing you the truth as I see it from where I'm standing, especially on topics that the media just buries. You can rest assured at this point, whatever they say, you can pretty much assume the opposite is true. So first off, as a preliminary matter, I want to say my sincere apologies for the somewhat lengthy hiatus. I've just been swamped here at work, so I really do appreciate all of your patience uh, from those of you who subscribe and especially those of you who support the show. So once again, thank you, my thought criminals. And notwithstanding those facts, I've got a really good episode for you. I think you're going to enjoy the plethora of detailed information that I provide. So with that said, let's just get right into it. So today I'm going to talk about the Proud Boys trial. And this trial did not get a ton of press coverage, I'm sure, just because of how <laughs> completely insane, screwed up it was. First off, if you're not familiar, the Proud Boys are a group of self-proclaimed patriots. They do things like activism, security events, but they don't engage in violence except in defense um, or in retaliation when groups like Antifa or BLM show up and cause a ton of problems. And a good friend of mine, Redmond Ritter, the Big Red Machine, he's a member of this group, and he recently introduced me to a gentleman who will soon be a guest on this show next episode. So I'll wait to dig into the details about the Proud Boys, who they are, what they do uh, in, in that show upcoming, because I think it would much better serve you guys to hear it out of the horse's mouth. So these five young men, these Proud Boys, uh, recently had a trial in federal court in the District of Columbia regarding incidents surrounding the January 6th Moore insurrection. <laughs> they were tried for seditious conspiracy to overthrow the government at J6, um, as well as some other felonies related to those events. That's right. Somehow five guys can overthrow the U.S. government. <laughs> Uh, which is just, as you know, laughably absurd on its face. I don't know how anyone can take this these charges seriously. But what's even crazier is they were convicted by a jury uh, not long ago. So I thought it'd be interesting, as Hillsdale's most trusted and beloved lawyer, to break down this trial, show you guys how these Ferengis will go after anyone that isn't on board with their agenda and how they weaponize the system to crush any and all opposition, no matter how de minimis it may be. And you think these guys got a fair trial? <laughs> of course not. These kind of right-wing affiliated dudes showing up at 1-6, 
being prosecuted by the same FBI that we already know had agent provocateurs pushing people to go into the building and cause this big scene to totally discredit Trump and his supporters. I've already talked to you guys about the lies, the cover-ups uh, by the feds in the entire 1-6 hoax. And I'm sure many of you have seen Tucker's great uh, revelation that dropped just a couple months ago, of course, before he got the boot from Fox, <laughs> just for, you know, trying to expose a little truth to us. What about the fact that it was tried in the District of Columbia? The most liberal judges in the country and the most liberal jury pool you could probably imagine. Oh yeah, I'm sure everybody just threw their biases out the window and stuck to only the facts and evidence. <laughs> So, the charge, conspiracy to overthrow the government. So what is a conspiracy? A conspiracy is an agreement by two or more persons to commit a crime that they are able to commit in, a, in which at least one of those who embraced the agreement took at least one step in furtherance thereof. Why do prosecutors love conspiracy cases? Because they're so damn easy to prove. Every modern def definition of crime includes an element of harm. Since conspiracy is essentially a thought crime, the prosecutor doesn't have to prove the element of harm. So let's just be clear. Conspiracy is not the crime of attempt. Attempt requires that the defendants come just one material step short of completion. Attempt often does cause harm. Uh, let's see, attempted murder in which the victim is shot by the defendant but survives would be a great example. Conspiracy is different because if the so-called conspiracy does not succeed, then, of course, there is no harm. Obviously, in this case, the conspiracy of five guys overthrowing the government could not have succeeded. <laughs> Clarence Darrow, he's one of the greatest uh, trial lawyers in American history. He put it this way nearly 100 years ago in the Debs case. He said, If there are still any citizens interested in protecting human liberty, let them study the conspiracy laws of the United States. They have grown apace in the last 40 years. Until today, no one's liberty is safe. The conspiracy laws magnify misdemeanors into serious felonies. And you're going to see that's what's happening here. And... Mr. Darrow used an example. If a boy should steal a dime, a small fine would cover the offense. He could not be sent to the penitentiary. But if two boys, by agreement, steal a dime, then both of them could be sent to the penitentiary as conspirators. So he's showing how conspiracy amplifies crimes and it's so much easier to prove. So this charge in itself, of course, is total bullshit. It's overtly political. But that, my friends, is just the tip of the iceberg. The entire way the case was prosecuted was completely heinous, depriving the defendants of due process and a fair trial. So how was the case set up? Prosecutors collected over half a million text messages from the Proud Boys in a fishing expedition. These texts were before 1-6. In fact, when someone, and to give an example of how there was no conspiracy taking place, 
When someone suggested in a text to storm the Capitol, the Proud Boys leader, Mr. Terrio, or maybe it's Tario, uh, but uh, Terrio, he did not endorse the plan. He said, no, 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 do not do that. Even prosecutors admitted this fact and that the protest was spontaneous. So it couldn't have been a pre-planned conspiracy if it was spontaneous. But they still move ahead with the prosecution. In fact, Mr. Terrio, the leader himself, was not even at January 6th. And yet he was one of these individuals prosecuted. The major theory the prosecution made was playing it from the angle that the Proud Boys were reacting to Donald Trump. However, they never even had a conversation with him. If President Trump was somehow part of this conspiracy, then guess what? He would have had to been a named defendant too in this case. So what did the prosecutors do? During the trial, prosecutors repeatedly played clips of Donald Trump in an effort to manipulate the jury. They played clips like when Trump said, stand back and stand by, and encouraged, and when he encouraged supporters to come to January 6th with uh, things like, it will be wild. Of course, neither one of these sound like a call to violence. Um, we all know that's not what he was suggesting individuals do. Uh, Trump, he likes to talk like a salesman. You might call it mere puffery. He's just trying to get people riled up and excited. But using this was a great way to prejudice and manipulate these jurors. Obviously, tying the defendants to a jury that despises President Trump is a great way to further bias them. One juror even admitted afterward, when asked why he voted to convict, that Trump's remarks were part of it. Trump has nothing to do with this case. His remarks somehow get these guys convicted of federal crimes. The jury in this case was instructed by the judge that seditious conspiracy didn't merely mean to overthrow the government through force. It had a much broader meaning of interfering with the government by use of force. The judge ruled that jurors could convict on conspiracy even if they found there was no plan to disrupt the certification of the election, but merely an unspoken agreement to do so. An unspoken agreement. A thought crime. If you think that wasn't enough, six of the jurors on this case actually participated in left-wing protests. You think they were going to be fair? But the judge, in spite of this fact, would not grant one of 16 requests to change venue by the defense attorneys in their efforts to at least get their clients to have the trial somewhere else where at least a neutral jury could be there. Not necessarily a right-wing jury, but something a little more balanced. On top of that, there were egregious violations as it pertains to evidence tampering by the FBI. One example in which an FBI agent admitted under cross-examination that she was asked to alter evidence so as to remove the name of another FBI agent as having been present during a critical government meeting between the agents and a confidential source. Obviously, materially altering government records, particularly those likely to be evidence in a criminal case, is a crime. Another FBI agent was caught deleting and withholding 
over a thousand Excel rows of messages she had written, but guess what? Nothing happened. That kind of behavior often results in prosecutions completely being thrown out. Of course, not in this case. The messages included a directive from FBI personnel to the agent to, quote, destroy 338 pieces of evidence. A defendant has the right to all exculpatory evidence the prosecution may come across. That is a constitutional right. It protects the defendant's right to due process of law. This is called, this is what in the legal profession we call Brady evidence. Not Brady like Neil Brady. It's named after a case called Brady v. Maryland. The case says a prosecutor must, must turn over evidence to defense counsel whether it is requested or not. You come across it, you got to give it to defense counsel. But instead, in this case, what happened? This evidence was actively hidden. This is a gross misconduct that should result in the case automatically being thrown out. But that's not what happened here. To the contrary, the judge instead refused to let defense counsel cross-examine this agent over it. So you have the judge essentially tying the defense counsel's hands behind their back. You have the FBI violating the defendant's constitutional rights and actually committing crimes themselves in this process. The government also argued that the defendant should be convicted because the Proud Boys had deleted text messages from their phones. And in fact, the jurors went so far as to claim they were most persuaded in making their decision by the fact that these messages had been deleted. In their mind, it's because they couldn't know what was said. So essentially, these men were convicted on what might have been. The burden is supposed to be on the government to prove all elements of an alleged crime beyond a reasonable doubt, not to merely speculate on what individuals could have said. So what now? On June 21st, several of the defendants filed Rule 29 motions for acquittal. So Rule 29 is uh, a rule of federal procedure that says if the jury has returned a verdict of guilty, the court may set aside the verdict and enter an acquittal. So essentially it gives the judge the right to overrule the jury and acquit the defendants after a guilty verdict. Such a motion for judgment of acquittal should be granted where the evidence is not sufficient to permit a rational trier of fact to find all the essential elements of the crime beyond a reasonable doubt. So if a judge finds that the evidence is insufficient, um, they have that uh, ability to, under Rule 29, acquit the defendants in the case. What do you think the odds are that the same judge who screwed these defendants over seven ways to Sunday, completely hosed them, is now going to turn around and grab them un unacquittled. <laughs> Egregious violation of a laundry list of the defendant's constitutional rights. They have not yet been sentenced. But it appears they could be facing up to 20 years in a federal prison. For what? For thoughts in their head.
If you're interested in this topic, I'll definitely have to follow up when an appeal is filed so we can see what's happened since then, which I assume all these defendants are going to do so in the case. Really, it's their only chance. Um, I don't see their odds as being good in this Rule 29 motion for acquittal. But if this case is upheld, it sets a scary precedent for all of us thought criminals, my friends, that any of us could be prosecuted for merely interfering with the government via unspoken agreement, whatever that means. So thank you for tuning in. Please share the show with your friends and subscribe. We have got to get the word out to more people. And I look forward to the next episode with our special guest. Until next time, peace. Hit me.